0: Well, amen, amen. Good morning, church. I uh, hope you're excited to be here this morning. It's always exciting to watch uh, people go from death to life through baptism and uh, share their stories. That's always super exciting for me uh, to get to see that and not only see them, but see the people in the baptismal with them uh, that have played a huge part in leading them to Christ. And so uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 6, if you've been here, you know uh, for a while now, since the beginning of this year, we've been walking through the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And so Paul, uh, this is, we've learned a lot about the church in Corinth. This is a, a church that Paul planted uh, on, his second, on his second missionary journey and he's come back and visited a few uh, different times and he's had some issues with the church in Corinth. Uh, if there's one church that would make uh, Paul wanna pull, pull his hair out, it was the Corinthians. It just seemed like they never wanted to do uh, what their pastor uh, told them uh, to do. And so uh, maybe that's a common threat. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking with y'all. Um, so anyway, let's read chapter six. We'll start in verse one and uh, we'll see uh, what he is talking to them about today. So it uh, starts this way. He says, as God's coworkers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And so, if you were here last week, you heard Ethan talk a lot about this ministry of reconciliation uh, that we have all received as believers. In the New Covenant, New Testament, uh, the Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, you receive the, the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and the Holy Spirit qualifies you to be a part of now God's mission and taking God's glory and God's message of the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. And so where it was uh, just Christ uh, and Christ was on earth, he left and went to heaven, now sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And so uh, Paul has been talking to them about uh, this being ministers of reconciliation, and he kind of closes this thought. Uh, with a thought about us being God's co-workers. But his concern with the Corinthians is that they had received God's grace in vain. That's an interesting language. Instead of being God's co-workers, instead of being ambassadors of the gospel or representatives, or instead of being ministers of reconciliation, they were doing the opposite. They basically received God's grace and kind of it stopped with them. Uh, but that's not God's intention. You see, God's grace was never intended to stop with us. God saved us so that we can become a conduit of His grace to other people. You know, many people under, misunderstand this. They say, "Well, Billy, you, you don't know what I've done, or the mistakes that I've made, or uh, or or what I've done it who I've done it with, and all these things that I've done." But the Bible teaches: when you become a Christian, you become a new creation. The Bible says the old is gone and the new has come, Uh, the new speaking of the Spirit of God that now uh, is with you. Uh, It's not that our past uh, goes away uh, physically, but in God's eyes, our past is not counted against us. He's forgotten our past, and now uh, our righteousness is secure in him. And so as a believer, now God gives us his grace and saves us by grace through faith so that now we can go and extend that grace to other people. And this is an incredible opportunity. Many people feel disqualified uh, from the grace of God being used in their life. They feel like they're not good enough. They feel like their sin disqualifies them, their past disqualifies them. But the good news of the gospel is that the Spirit of God in us qualifies us. And God intends for us when we receive His grace through salvation to go and be a conduit to spread this grace to other people through his message and through the way that we live our lives. And he even goes on to say that the mission is urgent. He says, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And so we're living in a very special time when it comes to the kingdom of God. Now is the time before the return of Christ where he'll come back and judge, where we have an opportunity to reach people and go make disciples of all nations. And we're, we won't be in this time period for, forever. But now the, the, the doorway of salvation has been opened to whom will ever come and place their faith in Christ. And he's enabled us through his grace to go be workers as his co-workers to accomplish his purposes. It is an incredible opportunity. And if we are not walking in that purpose, we need to begin to walk in that as a Christian. Verse three, Paul says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, impurity, purity, understanding, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, in truthful speech, In the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in our right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. And so Paul goes through this list of all that he sacrificed for the Corinthians and he wants them to know how much he loves them. And listen to what he says to close this this thought out. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and we've opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding your affection from us. As a fair exchange, I'm speaking as to my children, open wide your hearts also. And so when you read this, you, you should hear Paul's heart for the Corinthians just pour out. He says, literally, we've opened wide our hearts to you, but you are withholding your affection from us. You, you haven't opened your hearts up to us. And he's talking to them like a father would talk to an ungrateful child that doesn't understand how much he loves them and how much he has sacrificed For them, and so one of the things that we know is that Paul's relationship with the Corinthians was challenged. It was complicated. That they did not receive a lot of what he told them. When he went there on one trip, uh, he was uh, trying to correct them and reconcile them back to God in a lot of ways. And they basically said, "We don't care what you have to say, nor do we even want to be a part of what you're doing." And so these are the same people that he led to Jesus, and then planted the church, and then he shows up a year later. And they don't want anything to do uh, with him because they had been led astray by other people. So as he he makes this statement, he's speaking to them like a father uh, whose children don't understand all the sacrifices that he's made. And so he literally runs down a list of sacrifices. It made me think about uh, some realizations that I've had now as a father, you know, I grew up and in, in, in uh, with my mom and my dad, and my, and, and my dad always picked me up from, from school pretty much every day, uh, specifically elementary through middle school, even uh, into the first couple years of high school, and so we did a lot together. We always, he'd pick me up, we'd go eat, we'd, we'd go practice sports and, you know, play whatever. He came to all my practices and all this stuff, but, you know, every time I would get up for school, my dad would not be there, and so... I would always kind of wonder, man, like, golly, what time does he really get up? And so, uh, well, he got up at 4.15 a.m. pretty much every, every day. And he went to work, uh, not because he had to, he didn't have to go in early, but he went to work early so that he could be at school to pick me up at 3.30 and be at the ball field or be wherever I was until 10, and then he'd go to sleep and he'd do the same thing over and over again. And I didn't realize that while he was doing that for me, but now as a dad, uh, with two, almost three kids, about to be. Uh, I think about that and I think about how many sacrifices he made for me because he loved me so much. And, and then I, I, I think back to this passage and what Paul is saying for the Corinthians is he goes through this list and he lists out everything that he had been through. And he literally says, I've been through trouble, hardship, distress, beatings, imprisonment, uh, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, and Paul's basically saying, my suffering and my sacrifices should convey to you my love for you. They should prove how much that I love you. And then he goes through another list of his motivations. And he says, listen, I minister to you out of a pure heart, with great understanding, with patience, with kindness. I was led by the Spirit of God. I had sincere love for you. I spoke truthful speech to you. And my motivation should convey and prove my love for you. And then he even explains uh, all the things that he persevered through for them in another list. Basically, I've loved you through it all, through glory and dishonor, through bad reports that I've gotten, good reports that I've gotten, through times of sorrow, through times of rejoicing. I loved you when I was rich and even when I was poor. I loved you when I was sick and when I was healthy. And and, and so you start to think his perseverance even commends and, and conveys and proves his love them, And as he gets to talking towards the end and he talks about loving through sickness and in health and richer and poor, it should bring back your marriage vows to your mind. And so when you think about Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, uh, it, it, it literally is, is a marriage-like covenant commitment that he had with the Corinthians. And if you can imagine being in a marriage where you're committed to the vows but your spouse is not then you can kind of relate with Paul on what he is feeling here. He wants them to know how much he loves them, and he wants them to see everything that he had been through for their sake. He desires to be reconciled to them, for them to understand and be, uh, be thankful for what he has done for them, but also so that they can have a good relationship with one another. And Paul, again, is on his way to see them for the third time. And he says it later on in 2 Corinthians 12, he says it this way. He says, now that I'm ready to visit you for the third time, remember his first two trips did not go very well. He says, I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions or anything that you have. What I want is you. And that's what Paul's after. He wants a reconciled relationship with the Corinthians. And then he switches gears in verse 14 and he starts talking about holiness with them. Listen to verse 14. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? That's uh, basically a reference to Satan. It means worthless one. Or what does does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are a temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them I will walk among them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord, touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then verse uh, chapter seven, verse one, he says, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates both body and spirit, and perfect holiness out of reverence for God. And so Paul wants the Corinthians to understand who God has called them to be. He's called them to be a holy people. Holy just means to be set apart for God's glory. It reminds me of how what Peter said to the church in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10, where he tells them, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of God who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And if they are going to be that in Corinth, then they must take their pursuit of holiness seriously. That They cannot syncretize with other idol worshipers Uh, in Corinth. They cannot be influenced or contaminated by things that are going on in the Corinthian culture. And the Corinthian culture was a very difficult culture. I've told you this before, but uh, Corinth was a lot like Las Vegas. There was a lot of sexual sin, a lot of debauchery going on. There was a lot of uh, impure thoughts. There was a lot of division and selfishness and selfish ambition. Uh, There was just all that stuff was going on in Corinth, and what had happened was, instead of the church influencing the culture, the culture had slipped into the church of Corinth and began to influence uh, the church, And, and, and they were just kinda going with the flow and not seeing it as a big deal. But Paul here is saying, no, we must fight for holiness, and God's desire for his church is that it would be holy, and we must seek to live for God, even when it may be difficult, Are costly in our life. Why? Because we cannot be God's light in the world if we compromise with the world. That makes sense? And so we cannot be God's called out ones, the ones that literally live differently so that people see Christ when we have uh, compromised with the world. I want you to write this down. A church that looks and acts like the world has nothing to offer the world. A church, a believer, uh, a church of believers that looks and and acts like the world has nothing to offer the world. And so there's a lot in this passage, but today I want to put it on the bottom shelf for you. I want to give you three things that I think can be uh, challenging for us today and be helpful to encourage us in our relationship uh, with God. The first is this I want to challenge you uh, to be God's co worker. Be God's co worker. I love that. Thought process. I love that term that Paul uses there uh, to not take the grace of God in vain, but to be God's co worker, to think of yourself as a co worker of Christ. Two, I want to talk to you about loving others sacrificially. I think we can learn from Paul and how he loved the Corinthians, and we can grow in how we love one another based off of that. And then lastly, I want to talk about uh, pursuing holiness, which is a difficult task but it is a task worthwhile that we need to embrace as God's people so let's dig into each of those the first is we are God's co-workers we read in verses one and two as God's co-workers we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain for he says in the time of my favor I heard you and in the day of salvation I helped you and I tell you now is the time of God's favor now is the day of salvation So have you ever thought about the fact that God sees you as a co-worker? Like, have you ever thought about, if you're a Christian in this room, and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've surrendered your life to Christ, that God now sees you as a co-worker, a co-laborer, someone who is a part of his mission in the world, a vehicle for him to accomplish his purposes Through. And so uh, here he's talking to them about receiving God's grace in vain. And this is another interesting thought. What does it look like or what does it mean to receive God's grace in vain, like the Corinthians? Well, they had received God's grace but failed to share it with other people. Like they were kind of sitting on God's grace got their ticket to heaven, and just kind of living how they wanted to live. They had not embraced the lifestyle that God uh, had. And I always say it this way, if your belief is that God saved you just to get you out of hell, you have a very shallow view of salvation. Like that's just, that's a great one, absolutely. For eternity, we don't have to spend in hell. But God saved you from something to something. And if we miss the idea that God saved us, not only to get us out of hell, but to be reconciled back to himself and be a part of his work in the world, then we actually begin to see that God has a good life for us now. And it's an incredible eternal life that he has for us. And so they had received God's grace and they weren't spreading it with others. They had let the grace of God stop with them. But God didn't intend it that way. He wants us to be conduits of God's grace, ambassadors, Ministers. I mean, Ethan preached last week and he was talking about how we were ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of Christ and God was making his appeal through us. Like that's what God wants to do is through your life as a believer, God wants to reveal himself and attract others to himself through you and I as believers in Christ. Make his appeal through Us. It's an incredible, incredible thing. So the question becomes, how do we live as God's co-workers? And Billy, I want to live as God's co-workers. How do I do that? Well, a couple things. I want to give you three things. The first is this letter A, you got to know the mission. If you're gonna be a co-laborer or a co-worker with Christ, what are we working on? What is the work that God is doing? Well, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, God gives us a very clear mission that He has left us to do on the earth, Jesus came to his disciples and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So what is it exactly that God wants us to partner with him to work with him on? Well, uh, the key word in there is make disciples of all nations. That's what God is on a mission to do and he's inviting us into that mission. How do you make disciples? Well, three words in there, go, baptize and teach. Go means we are active. We're actively pursuing others for the sake of the gospel. Uh, baptizing meaning, hey, we're introducing them to Christ. We're leading them to faith in Christ, and then we're baptizing them as new Christians. But it doesn't stop there. Then we're teaching them to obey. We invite them into community, invite them into discipleship, where uh, into our life as we show them, hey, this is what it looks like to have a relationship with God. This is what it looks like uh, to live those things out. So we got to know that mission, and we got to begin to embrace it. Number two, accept the responsibility. So know the mission. But we also have to accept the responsibility. Remember, in this new covenant, now that the Spirit of God exists in you and I, we are now qualified. So if you're looking at yourself as a believer and saying, well, Billy, I just don't know enough. I don't think uh, people like me. I struggle personality-wise. I get anxiety, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. Like, you have the Spirit of God, so you have What qualifies you for ministry in this new covenant? And so we must seek to live that out and accept a responsibility for that. To follow Jesus is to fish for men. So if I am not fishing for men or if I'm not living on mission, then I am not following Jesus. And like we must come to a reality check on that because we live in a culture where you can be a Christian and not live on mission. But that does not exist in the Bible. Like saved people live sent. Like saved people literally go after people. Like we live because once we know who Christ is and his plans for our life, we can't love others and not want them to understand the same things that God has opened our eyes to. So we gotta know the mission, we gotta accept the responsibility, and then finally, letter C, we have to embrace the lifestyle. You know, making disciples is not a project, like it's not just something that we do, it has to become who we are. Like we are missionaries, like that's who we are uh, in, in locally, domestically, internationally, like God has saved us and rescued us to be on his rescue team. And so we must live that out every day as a part of who we are, God, who is it in my life today that you want me to talk to? Who is it in my life today that you want me to love? Who is it in my life today that you want me to display the love of Christ uh, to? And so the question comes down to this, have you embraced this lifestyle? Like, have you embraced this lifestyle? If not, what is hindering you from it? I know for me, very early on, when I thought I was a Christian and wasn't really living on mission, the things that I used to, uh, that hindered me from doing it were sin. Like, I was just living for myself. Uh, Like I I wanted to live for myself more than I wanted to live for God. And, And why did I wanna do this? If you get to the deeper level of that, I was believing a lie that my life lived for me was better than a life lived for God. Like I truly believed that, that if I can do what I wanna do when I wanna do it, that I was gonna be more satisfied and more happy than if I lived for God and did what he wanted me to do. But the thing that I failed to realize was the truth and the reality that I was created by God for God. And that my deepest fulfillment was only found when I was living and walking in God's design for my life and living in a relationship with God. And so I was believing that lie. And then the other thing was distractions, like just getting distracted uh, with things. Are you caught up, as Paul would say, in civilian affairs? Like, Do we get so focused on athletics or get so focused on uh, worldly things that, really don't have a lot of eternal value outside of the relationships that you build in them uh, where it distracts us from what really matters uh, in, the, in the lens of eternity. What is it in your life that's, that's keeping you from embracing this coworker lifestyle that God has designed you for? In the words of Paul, may we not receive God's grace in vain. Let's be conduits of God's grace. Let's enjoy his grace and let's extend it to other people in our lives. The second thing in this passage, in verses three through 13, is we see Paul's ministry, like his love, his sacrificial love for the Corinthians. And so I'm gonna say love others sacrificially is what we can learn from this. Uh, And we saw in verses three through 13 where Paul just went through these lists of all these things that he had been through to prove and, and, and commend his love for the Corinthians. And there was some pretty significant stuff in there. Uh, and then he ends it by basically saying, we've opened wide our hearts to you, but you have not opened wide your hearts back to us. And so we, we see Paul's heart of love coming out and, and not only love, but love that was sacrificial for the sake of the Corinthians. So I want you to write this down. The greatest stumbling block to my personal ministry will be a lack of genuine love for others. The greatest stumbling block to your ministry, to your ability to reach other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ will be a lack of genuine love for them. And so when you seek to live out and do ministry for the gospel, the foundation will always be love and that love in itself, godly love, is sacrificial. Like it will sacrifice of yourself for the sake of putting another above yourself because when you truly love God and you truly love others, effective ministry will overflow naturally out of that. But if we try to do ministry and we don't love people, we're gonna do more harm than we do good. Does that make sense? And so everything we see Paul do in, the God, in his book with the Corinthians and literally throughout the Bible, everything we see Jesus do was founded in love. Paul's love and ministry to the Corinthians is an incredible example uh, for us. So let's learn from him. A couple of uh, characteristics that we can uh, grasp about his sacrificial love or his ministry. Letter A, write this down. Sacrificial love is always rooted in the gospel. It's always rooted in the gospel. Billy, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Christ and the good news of what Christ has done for us, right? It's the good news of who Christ was, what he did, and how he interacts with our lives. So a couple verses, John, John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. Or Romans 5, eight, yet while we were sinners, Christ came and died for us. Second Corinthians five twenty one from last week, He who knew no sin, Christ, became sin, our sin, on our behalf so that we could become in Christ the righteousness of God. These are the gospel verses. Like These are the things that help us understand the gospel. Christ, literally, uh, Jesus stood in our place, took our punishment that we deserve, do our sin in front of a holy God so that now you and I, through faith, could be reconciled back to God. We could be reconciled back to God what we were created for, which is a relationship with God. And so why do I tell you that? Because if we're gonna sacrificially love others, then we have to understand, and it is rooted in that God's love for us. And so God's love for us is deep. It's generous. It's it's not passive. It's active. It's selfless. It it acts on behalf of, of the good of others. It's an overcoming love. It, it, it literally moved heaven and earth to make a way for me back to God, it's sacrificial. God literally sacrificed everything, His only Son. He gave His best so that you and I could be reconciled back to Him. And here's the deal: when we experience this gospel, when we experience this grace, we become like this. This gospel. And so, when we understand God's love for us, what happens is. It does something in our hearts. This is why you can't just understand it intellectually, but the Spirit of God has to apply it into our hearts, and when he applies it into our hearts, we become like that gospel. We become generous people. We become loving people. We become grace-filled people. We become people that love others because literally, we've come to the realization of what God has done for us. You see, sacrificial love is who God is. It's how God loved us, and when we love people the same way, this gospel way, it tangibly displays the love of God to other people. And that's God's intention, is that our love would be rooted in the gospel. As we receive his love, we become conduits of his love into the world. And in order for us to love others this way, we must be personally rooted in the gospel. And one of Satan's biggest tools and tactics in your life will be trying to disconnect you from your need of God's grace on a daily basis. You know, some people in this room probably think uh, that we only needed God's grace when we got saved, that for now we have the Spirit of God and we're good to go. Well, that is not true. As a Christian, every day we need the grace of God. This is why he tells us that his mercies are new every morning, because we need the grace of God every day. We need his help to become the people that he's called us to do. The maturity in the Christian faith is about dependence, not about self-sustainability. And so this is what we have to understand. And as we begin to lean on the grace of God personally, every day, we begin to be a conduit of that same grace to others. So that it's not like, hey, the grace that I received five years ago, you need that same grace today. No, the grace that I received this morning Today, right now, is the same grace of God that I'm inviting you into. And rather than looking down on others, we invite others into the same grace that we stand in on a daily basis. This is why sacrificial love is rooted in the gospel. Secondly, sacrificial love involves opening our hearts wide to others. This is interesting language that Paul uses here. Opening his heart wide to the Corinthians. What does that mean? Well, it's sacrificial love and sacrificial love is relational, it's transparent, it's honest, it's vulnerable, it's literally opening up our lives. Everything that we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the real you, the you that you don't want anybody else to see, the one that you put on Facebook, that is not the real you, but the one that you are when people show up at your house and they come by surprise and everything's a mess and you know, you got, you're yelling at your youngins and all this stuff, that's the real you that God wants you to invite people into. Because when, when they see God's grace step into that life, that's when they can begin to see how God's grace begins to transform a person. Because the only prerequisite to God doing a work in your life is honesty. And honest to goodness, when you begin to allow people into your life to see the real you and to see the real God that's transforming the real you, that's when real ministry begins to happen. And so we can't just put up this front. That's what's wrong with the church today is we try to dress up and look great and they want everybody to look at us. Hey, everything's great, blah, blah, blah. And what happens is people begin to try to conform to that. And so to be a Christian just means I got to dress up and act like I got everything together. Okay, well, what happens about 50, 60 years of that? The church becomes ineffective because there's no real life change happening because all it means to be a Christian is to dress up and to to do good things. When the gospel truly means that God transforms the real you into a, a gospel you where you begin to live for God and that's what the church is all about and this is what discipleship is all about. Listen, when I think back to my ministry and, and the things that God, by his grace, has done through me or done through my wife and I, Kate, as a, as a ta- tag team in ministry, uh, I, the, the people that I believe God has transformed the most through Kate and I, has been because we've invited them into our lives. And, and honest, we can't invite everybody into our lives. I mean, we, we, our house isn't big enough to invite everybody in there, but we can't invite a few. And the few that we have invited into our lives, I can literally watch as their wheels start turning to see how the gospel truly begins to affect every area of our life. And if you want to be effective in ministering to people and watch God use you as a vehicle to see life change in other people, invite them into your life, bring them into your house, bring them into a real relationship with you because this type of love breaks down all kinds of walls. And it begins to show people what real Christianity is all about. And that, if there's one characteristic that I want for our church, that's the characteristic. Real and authentic is what we say when we plant churches. That's what we want them to be. One commentator said it this way. Has anyone ever truly opened their heart to you? It is a rare and moving occasion when the facades fall away and someone shares their deepest self in a vulnerable and sincere way. I experienced one of those precious moments with a dear friend revealed when when a dear friend revealed her struggles to me. She had given me glimpses of what was going on prior to that day, but I couldn't fathom the depth and gravity of the situation. As we talked, I felt my own heart begin to soften. I was able to love her in a new way and felt an inexplicable joy of authenticity and connection. This is how Paul described his relationship with the Corinthians. He loved them. He went through a lot for them. He visited them. He invited them into his life. He sacrificed for them. He would literally do anything to see them reconciled to God. And this is what sacrificial love is all about. It's that father-son or that mother-son or mother-daughter. It's that, that type of relationship where literally if you have a, a, a child that doesn't know the Lord, you would move mountains so that they could become a Christian. If that involved you giving your life up so that they could believe, you would do it. And this is the type of love that God has called us into as a Christian. And then the third thing that sacrificial love does is it perseveres through all things. I want you to listen to this list one more time. Paul says he went through troubles, hardships, distress, beatings, imprisonment, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, spiritual warfare, personal hurt. It literally reminds me of 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul laid out for us the biblical definition of love where he says love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. And so the only question we have to ask ourselves is, is my life characterized by sacrificial love for others? Because listen, if, if this is God's plan, if this is what God wants to do in our lives, one of the most important things that we can do is sacrificially love Others, the same way Christ has loved me. So do people experience the sacrificial love of God through you? And I think this is something where we all can grow in. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself as well. Like when you're at home, that's one of the most difficult places to sacrificially love uh, people, right? Because you feel like you can let it down. You know, just hang out. You know, just kind of do your thing. Just let the weight off. But God's called us to sacrificially love at home. Our spouse, our kids. God's called us to sacrificially love at work with those people even that get on our nerves to to show them because we may be the only Christ that they see. God's called us to sacrificially love uh, wherever we play, in the gym, at, at the workplace, in your restaurants that you eat at. God's called us to be a picture, tangible picture of his sacrificial love for the sake of others. Thirdly, we see in this passage, uh, Paul transitions to pursuing holiness. And I think there's a word for us in this as we think about him encouraging the Corinthians to pursue holiness. One of uh, the commentators who writes the message translation of the Bible, uh, Eugene Peterson, I want you to listen to how he talks about uh, verse 14 through chapter seven, verse one. He says, do not become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that is exactly what we are. Each of us a temple in whom God lives. And then he goes on to say, with promises like this, Dear friends, let's make a clean break from everything that defiles or distracts us, both within and without. Let's make our entire lives fit and a holy temple for the worship of God. I mean, that's some pretty serious language. And and you have to understand that in Corinth, there's a lot of conformity going on. What do I mean by conformity? The culture is influencing the church rather than the church influencing Uh, Paul's later gonna say he's afraid in chapter 12 that when he gets to Corinth that he's gonna find them caught up in sin the same way they were his first two visits. He even goes on and lists the type of sin that they were caught up in, sexual sin, impurity, debauchery, discord, jealousy, slander, gossip, selfish ambition, arrogance. And here's the reality, those are real characteristics of the world. Like lost people in the world should be characterized by those things. But God's called the church to be different. In a world full of sin, we're called to be different. Paul says, be holy, be set apart, don't blend in with the world. You're not citizens of the world anymore, you're citizens of heaven. So Paul says, come out from among them. Like live differently, set apart lives, leave the worldly ways behind and walk in your new identity. Be the light of the world, be the salt of the earth, be my ambassadors, because God desires to make his appeal. God desires to reveal himself and his design through you to the life of others. And so here's the question, how do we live in the world but not be of the world? Like that's the question. How do you live in the world, because God obviously hadn't zapped us out of the world, so we still live in the world and God's not telling us that we need to like quarantine off and make a little weird village where all we talk about is Christian things with Christian people, right? He's already told us that in First Corinthians. Go into the city and courts and have friendships with lost people and, and do that. So he's not talking about that. What he's talking about is how do we live in the world as ambassadors for Christ in the midst of lost people? How do we pursue holiness even when the culture around us is not pursuing holiness? How do we pursue holiness even when it's not attractive or convenient? How do we pursue holiness when we may be the only person in our friend group that's pursuing it? A couple things, the first is this, we must stay close to Jesus. We must stay close to Jesus. Before holiness is about doing any rule, it's about a person. And it's about Jesus and fixing our eyes on Christ. The the pathway to holiness is not a rule. The pathway to holiness is setting your eyes on Christ. And when you set your eyes on Christ, what happens is you become like Christ. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more like Jesus you become. So the question becomes, how do we walk with Jesus? Well, you got to spend time with him. You got to spend time in his word. You got to spend time praying and asking God to do a work in you. You got to spend time in community. You got to be surrounded by other people that love God. Right, it's almost, think of it like an oxygen mask. Like, when you're in community, you're, you're getting your oxygen, you're, you're having conversations, you're throwing ideas and what's going on in your heart around with other people that love God, and then when you go back into the world, to your job, to your workplace, whatever it is, you're taking that oxygen mask off and you're living in the mission field. But then every time we gather together, you're putting that oxygen mask back on and breathing in deep, breathing in deep, encouraged, encouraged, and you're strengthened to scatter back out into the community. And listen, godly relationships are important. Even Paul himself says here, who we are yoked to matters. Like your closest friends in life need to be Christians that are pursuing holiness. Like if that's what you're serious about, then the closest friends that you have need to be people that are taking holiness the same seriousness that you are, that's very, very important. Doesn't mean you can't have friends outside of the faith, but it means your close friends need to be folks that can encourage you. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? It's that principle that we've heard over and over again. Secondly, not only stay close to Jesus, but we need to value God's purpose for our lives. We need to understand that God wants to use us, and he does, he wants to use us, and so, if we can't say no to sin for ourselves, say no to sin for the person that God's trying to use you to reach and begin to see that God desires to use you as, as, a, as a picture of himself to those around us. Understand his purpose for your life. And then lastly, we need to resist the urge to Compromise. Because listen, when you get saved, it doesn't mean that the worldly desires that you used to have go away. They actually don't. You just now have the Spirit of God in you to fight against the flesh. And when you and I both wake up in the morning, our first thought is to live for the world, to do what we wanna do when we wanna do it. And that desire is called sin, right? And so if we get our eyes off of Christ and we get out of community, we're going to naturally drift towards sin, we're gonna naturally drift towards doing what we want to do and we're gonna fall in line with the culture and we're gonna compromise. But we cannot be God's light in the world if we compromise with the world. A church or a believer that looks and acts like the world really has nothing to offer the world. So dare to be different, love God, love others, fight sin in your life and make disciples. And don't worry about what the crowd's saying about you. Allow the loudest voice in your life to be the voice of God. Listen, there's so much freedom in that, I can't preach this, is a whole other sermon, but there's freedom in that. And so as I close today, I want you to know, like these are some hard challenges. I understand they're hard. Like the fact that God wants to use you to change the eternity of another person, the weight of that, that's a huge weight. The fact that God wants you to pursue holiness in your life, it's a big challenge. But I want you to know it; he doesn't leave you to do it alone. Like, he literally says, I'll be with you. I'll do the work in you. But we have to yield ourselves to them. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. Listen, I don't know where you're at in here today. Maybe you're in here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God. You've never experienced the love of God. You've always thought Christianity was just doing things. But today you've heard for the first time that the good news of the gospel is that Christ has already done everything necessary to save you. And today you're ready to surrender your life to Christ and say, I wanna follow God, I wanna live the life that God's designed for me to live. If today is that day, today's the day of salvation in your life. Amen, we wanna celebrate that. We wanna pray with you, we wanna get you some resources, connect you into some people. If that's you, I wanna ask you to be bold. Would you lift your hand right where you are and say, Billy, that's me this morning. I wanna surrender my life to Christ. I wanna be saved. I wanna follow Jesus. Anybody in this room, I'll give you a second. So Father, I pray for us as a church. God, would you do a work in us? God, would Second Corinthians chapter six become a reality in our lives? God, would you uh, create in us a desire to live for you, to be used by you? God, would you compel us by your gospel to be your coworkers. God, would you give us the ability to sacrificially love others even when it's not easy? And God, would you give us a desire to be holy and to show people Jesus through the way that we live our lives? God, would you do in us what we can't do for ourselves? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here and we'll see you back next week.